No, no, no. See, his resentment is that on an old set I did when I was five when I was five years sober, he went through the work with those tapes. Then five years later, I said on a new set that most of that I probably made an offhand comment. I didn't think it was bullshit. I just said my experience has changed and I have some things to share. It threatened. See, but he's not mad because I said that on the second set. He's mad at what that did to his experience. Something Joe said threatened my experience. Bingo. See, his whole being, Mr. AA, his, uh, Mr. AA, his whole being was in total jeopardy. Upper right-hand corner. Mr. AA. Mr. AA. Now, once, once you identify the role in this one-act play in the upper right-hand corner, then all you have to say to yourself is, now that I've seen it was Mr. AA who was threatened, what does Mr. AA think he is? Self-esteem. I am above being threatened. You need to find the key word in the second column. You find the key word in the second column, you need to fill that in too. Put in the second column, threaten my experience. You threaten my experience with sobriety. Self-esteem. I am above, I, always look back in the upper right-hand corner. Now you start to see who got mad. It's always somebody different that got mad. The guy that got mad was Mr. AA. Self-esteem. I am above being threatened. My experience is valid off that set of tapes. Pride. Damn. Self-esteem is about what my ego is currently telling me that I am in relationship to this resentment. What do you write for pride on yours? Okay, but it, what would pride be? If Mr. A.A. threatened here, what would pride be? If people knew, if people knew he had done the work off that first set of tapes, and they also knew Joe made a statement, if Joe even made the statement, this could probably be a fancied resentment. <laughs> could probably be all in his mind and never existed. Because the truth is, those are the best set of tapes I've ever heard, period, in all my years on the 12 Steps. Because they were pure, they were long before he ever got in touch with all the shit he's in touch with now. <laughs> Underline self-esteem. Underline the seven words. Okay. So pride, no one, no one should see my experience as being invalid. Me. Right? It's always me. Ask who. No one should see me threatened. Pride is always about the spectators. Yeah. Now, ambition, what do you, what do you have for that? It's what you want. No, uh -huh. no, no, no. No. I want to be right. I want to be right. I want to be perfect. I want my way to be the way. Huh? Yeah, I want to be recovered. Okay, security, it's what he needs to be okay. How would that look? Mr. AA's right in this. What's Mr. AA need to be okay? I need Joe to be wrong. I need for him to say that first set's the best set he ever made, for God's sakes. He's never been clearer in his entire life. Right? He needs that to be okay, doesn't he? All that need me to be wrong, raise their hand. <laughs> <laughs> Sex relations are not, not in here. Personal relations. Sure, I could find one. Men are always right. Uh-huh. Oh, no, no. No man should say to another man that what he has done, no other man should threaten me. 
Real men don't threaten other men. Right? Mm-hmm. Real men don't have feelings. You see, the, here's, here's the tragedy. I was just sitting here thinking about this. Here's the tragedy. He literally was able to take the tapes, and they were a vehicle to have a deep and vital experience with God. And now what's happened, he's passed that experience, and now there's knowledge of it. Now look what the hell Mr. AA is doing with it, because he's no longer in the experience. He's walking around trying to explain and justify the experience now. So what do you have in the fourth column? No, wait, wait, wait. Personal relations, there's a big piece here. See, because him, him and I had never met, and because he heard the tapes, he thought he and I were friends, and his personal relations would say, no friend should ever threaten me. And that's why you need to be clear, be friends with your friends, but know who your friends are, or you'll find yourself blindsided by somebody who doesn't care. Right? <laughs> no friend should threaten me. And, and here's here's... Oh, that's another one. That's Joe's got. That's another character, right, friend? See, I went. Well, I'll tell you the tragedy of this. Joe and I swapped enough inventories, and we kept we keep using the friends, the terms friend or best friend. And I remember I listened to one Joe did, and he used the phrase best friend about twelve guys. And I finally said, which one are you lying to? <laughs> and what I began to look at the idea was that there's a part of my being. I have a script for how friends are. And if you don't follow that script, then you're no longer my friend. And the tragedy of that is nobody will ever fit that script. And I go through my life looking for friends. So right? self, self-esteem is about what I think I am. I'm sorry. Self-esteem is about what my ego's telling me it thinks I am. Who I am, being. Pride is how others see or feel about me. Nobody should see me, blah, blah, blah. Ambition is about what I want. Security is about what I need to be okay. It's life and death. Personal relations are about my friends. Sex relations are about people of the opposite sex. Pocketbook is about my money or a price I wouldn't want to pay. And if there's no money involved, he could write here, I'm not willing to pay the price to see that maybe I was wrong. So let's look at what I did. It leads right into the fourth column because in the fourth column he's going to see the price he paid for being right. What, what was you your... Don't put in the third column, I think or I feel. Right. Avoid, the, best, I... the best question I ever heard asked about the third column, asked a man that's been writing this kind of inventory for a long time, he was asked, how come there's never low self-esteem in the third column? And he said, there's, no, there's never low self-esteem in the third column because these are the decisions that I'm making. These are the beliefs I have when I'm making decisions, when I'm playing God, and God ain't got no low self-esteem. See, so your third column is, is your, your third column is where you see that you're living your life on your self-will. You're playing God. God doesn't have low self-esteem. You're not writing inventory from a position of low self-esteem. The reason you're resentful is you got just a little bit too much. It's always a position of superiority. That's always what resentments are about. They are not about low self-esteem. That's another trap the damn ego wants to use. And if you use words like I think or I feel, follow me. You will never see any truth in that. What does this say? Here's a good one, too, because it ties right in with the tapes. And under pocketbook, he could have put, I'm not spending money on any tapes that threaten me. <laughs> okay, what do you have in your, in your fourth column? 
selfish. I need to be fixed. I need I need for Joe to not have said that. I need for Joe to agree that his first set of tapes was great, to be okay, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I need Joe to apologize to me. Now he's just repeating that third column. Right. That's all ambition. What did I do? See, now I say to myself, and I've got to cross this line of power. I've got to cross this line of power, and I've got to be turned to look at it from an entirely different angle to look at where I'm selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and afraid. And I say to myself, when I resented Joe for doing that, and I had these beliefs going on, what did I do? What did I do? Now it's about, yeah. now it's about behavior. The third column is about being. The fourth column is about behavior. Right. So what action did you take behind this? For, let me ask you this. Did you... Okay, you shut the tape off. Did you make any slanderous comments about Joe? Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is good. Slander. Okay. Slander. So slander. Gossip. Gossip. Shunned me out of his life. Right? Character assassination. He and I had an entire relationship, and we'd never even met, and I wondered... <laughs> When, when him and I met, I wondered, why doesn't he like me? <laughs> okay, a lot of fear in this. What were your fears? Fears. I met him. I asked him, did he want a cookie? And he got really mad. I said, wow, it seems like you get mad over really little things. And we'd had an entire relationship already. Right? What were your fears? I was afraid that... Being wrong. Being wrong. Looking bad. Okay. Drinking. Pain. Yeah, afraid that the process wasn't real. Looking bad. In the fourth column under afraid, you're only correlating your fears for your next inventory. Yeah, your fear inventory. You're just listing the fears. But in the first three, you can look at action you took that he would have to make amends for. It. Slander, gossip. You could also put character assassination. Shut him out. Yeah, blank. Great. Oh, good one. Joe gets to assume the responsibility for what hasn't worked, right? Yeah. Blame Joe. That's good. That's good. Now, was there any dishonest, was there any honesty you took, or I'm sorry, any action you took behind your dishonesty in the fourth column? Well, actually, I took the only thing I took down that I didn't take action. I never told them. Right. Right. Okay. And again, that's fear. Right. What's more dishonest, lies or not telling somebody? Which is more dishonest? See, yeah, dishonesty is, is what he basically is going on here is he lied by omission, didn't he? Lies of omission are just as dishonest as an outright lie of commission. That's self-delusion, which is under dishonesty. Three ways that, by the way, in the fourth column, there's three ways in which I'm dishonest. I lie directly to you. I lie by omission. I don't tell the whole story. We've all had this bullshit told us. Well, I didn't tell you because I was afraid it would hurt your feelings. <laughs> Listen. I was, I was afraid how you would feel would make me uncomfortable. Yeah. Just so you know me, I got broad shoulders and a big ass. Give it to me, okay? But we've been taught that bullshit. I'm not going to tell you the truth, right? I'm going to spare your feelings. Now, the other way in which I'm dishonest is through self-delusion. I lie to myself. I lie to myself. Let's try one more. Let's look around the room for a great second column. Thanks. Okay. Who's got... Thank you. Give him a hand. <laughs>
All right. That was good. That's good. I want to hear Jason's second column and the, and the uh, guy with the American flag. Okay. The ex- Jason, what's your second column? Read it to us. Encourages me and prompts me with episodes of the body and generates a mark. What's the first column? Pride. Uh, who's in the first column? Pride. Pride. He wrote on pride. Resentful of pride. Okay. I resent pride. What, say it as ego. I resent my ego. Now, what's the second column? It encourages and prompts me with appetites of the body and generations. Let's hear another one. Okay. <laughs> That's far too fucking spiritual. <laughs> David, okay, you got your wife, column one. Everything we need to know about it in the second column. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your second column, David? Okay, do you have any more on her? Okay, this this will be a good one. Well, let's hear a couple more in the room. Who else wrote one? Right here. Um, abuse me by screaming racist remarks at me on my answers. Oh, we got the Native American woman. <laughs> She's attached to being Native American now. It's got a whole script. You got to bring her up for for this one. Yeah, yeah. Come on up. I was talking with Sydney. Let me hear his though too. What's yours? Leaving nasty messages on my recorder, accusing me of setting them up to drink. Right? That's a great one. Let's hear the fourth count. I'm sorry. Let's hear the third count. Read it all the way through, like if you were in a fifth step, starting at the beginning. Get a feel for this four column thing. Leaving nasty messages, accusing me of setting. Imagine if he put under ambition, I want to drink and have someone to blame, too. Why should not accuse me of my, of my failure? Fourth column. Self-seeking. I've intensified with that in order to tell him to proceed in the work. I attach myself to whether others, whether others are desperate and willing enough to get well. I am not willing to let go. Let go of those who are already gone. Besides, I tell myself my unfinished intent is not affecting others. And this is success and success. I tell myself I'm not playing God. I would suggest to always take the fears further. There's more fears than just that one. Okay, Aurora. Come on up. What's, in the, what's the name in the first column? Gene. Uh, by the way, for characters, write Native American. 
No, 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 no. It's, it's got to be like the greatest Native American ever. <laughs> Yeah, Native American. I don't, in the upper right-hand corner, it's never just, I'm never just in the upper right-hand corner, never just a Native American woman. That would be like healthy. It's got to be like the ultimate Native American woman. Right. Native American goddess. Native American goddess, yeah. Okay. Native American princess. Native American. There you go. Native American princess. Now, now we're starting to get somewhere. She's getting brighter as we sit here. Now let's see if we can get the second column clear. What's the, what did you put for the second column? Okay, abuse me by screaming racist remarks at me. I might answer the shit. Okay, abuse. What's the racist remark? Um, Sand nigger. Uh, half breed. Oh, oh, oh. Down there. Call me half breed. Here, let's let's get specific. Call me half breed, sand nigger. We can skip that one. Let's just go with half breed. Okay, we'll go with half breed. What else did she say on the recording? I'll put, well, put down there. This will be another word. Resentment. Abuse me. Did you use the word abused or ashamed? She used abused. Abused. Abused me. Princes don't get ashamed. <laughs> it's not in their script. I can assure you. What does the second column say up on the board? Called me half-breed and abused me. Okay, let's bring up some personalities. Okay. We've got the Native American princess. That's obviously strong. She's right there in the chair. She's we are, right in the inventory. Yeah. We also have the spiritual medicine woman who's seeking seeking God, right? See, I can assure you, she has a belief system going on that she would never say that to anybody she would never abuse anybody, right? So that's the spiritual woman. Call it. What would you call her? Shaman. Spiritual woman. No, we don't call him. Just medicine person. Okay, medicine person. Where is she? Or a healer. Or a healer. Where is she, Mark? She's out there somewhere. Yeah, let's find one. Yeah, no, you pick him. Go ahead. Pick a medicine person. Pick a healer. Okay. Come on up. Now you got, you got to remember your role, who your being is. You're the medicine person, okay? Miss AA. Yeah, got to have a Miss AA. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, well we, well, we still need a Native American princess, too. So pick one more. Come on. Was, was there anything else that happened in this phone message? She called you half breed, abused you, anything else? Who, who is this person? Who got, who oh, we need, abused? yeah, we need a victim. Pick a victim. Oh, wait a second. Let me smell, let me smell. Come on up here. You're the victim. Come on up here. <laughs> By the way, I want to tell you, we could take anybody in the room and just do all the same stuff. Okay? It's an easy pick. So how many do we have? We, we got, got four. Native American princess, medicine person, Miss AA, and the victim. Right? Okay, let's look at self-esteem. Let's develop self-esteem, right? Now keep something in mind when you're working with this. These four characters, being, because it's about being, third column is about being, 
they all have scripts of how the universe is supposed to treat them, right? Okay? So self-esteem, Native American princes, right? Read it. Begins with I am. So what will that, what will that say? Read yeah. Let her read it. Um, what do you, what'd you write? Okay, she wrote, I'm too good a person. That's almost too nice. I'm too good a person for her to have attacked me that way. I think it's more like I deserve to be worshipped. <laughs> See, and some of you, your ego's going, oh, this is, come on, I don't think that way. Oh, yeah? What the book told us, Mark, you got to quit playing God yourself while we're on riot, though you don't think so. Okay? I am a full-blooded Native American princess. <laughs> Self-esteem. That's, that would be next. I'm a full-blooded Native American princess. She's got more cultures in her background than... Uh... Huh? She had a split personality long before it was popular. <laughs> of course, Miss AA, Miss AA, I'm a good member of AA. I'd never treat anyone that way. See, here's what happens. She... I'll take Miss AA and, and you, all you women that have Miss AA. I can assure you, you have a, a part of your being that thinks it's Miss AA, and you've got a complete script written around that, and it's always about you would never treat anyone that way, ever. It's a damn lie. And the minute anyone treats you different than the script that you have, this imaginary thing, they're going to show up in your column, too. I'd like to hear what each of the personalities would say their reason is for being man. Okay. So let's start with the victim. Why are you man? Just hurt. She got home, turned on the answer machine. She's the victim. Right? It hurts. Why me? Why me? After all I've done for her. By the way, who is this person? Pete's ex-wife. Oh, <laughs> we, we got a whole other dynamic going on here, don't we? <laughs> God, we just we just got a few more in here, don't we? Uh huh. Uh huh. There's a whole other personality. There's a perfect wife in here somewhere. Yeah, there's a perfect wife who would never, ever treat someone else's ex-wife like this. That's like the guy at Breckenridge. He had a guy's name in the first column, and in the second column put, slept with my girlfriend, and went through this whole thing. And about 20 minutes later, uh, Frank goes, who was the guy in the second column? He goes, my best friend. <laughs> or then he said, well, he used to be my best friend. Frank said, oh, <laughs> you're trying to avoid the truth in the second column, right? Because the guy saw what the hell was happening. Okay, so Miss A.A., what's your response when you came home and listened to this message? Bingo. Bingo. Okay, who we got? The Native American princes. Uh huh. Miss A.A. might say something like, she tried to fool herself and say, love and tolerance of others is my code. <laughs> I've ceased fighting anybody or anything. I'm going to pray for her, the bitch, because she's spiritually sick. And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll call all my friends and ask them to pray for her, too. Honey, would you go sell my gun before I do this? <laughs> and you go to the meeting and say, 
way, she was taking my inventory. <laughs> okay, what other character? Who's the medicine person? Right, you're the medicine person. Well, uh, basically, what it is is it's it's yeah, it, it's it's the real spiritual piece. So you came home and you listened to this message. Doesn't she realize that I'm trying to smooth things over? Uh huh. And plus, she would say more. She would say more because she's so spiritually evolved that she would never, ever, ever say anything like that to anybody. So the minute that that happens, someone doesn't fit the script, then she gets angry, right? She gets angry. I want to tell you something about this victim. We're in a culture that we pay people a shitload of money to keep us in that role, so we don't have to assume any responsibility. Those of you sitting in here that have that strong characters, and I've done a lot, I've done a bunch of work with men, and I do have to say this because I've done a lot of work with women. We're in a society that really, really wants to make that a big character in your life, and the tragedy is you'll never have any freedom till you get free of that. Now let me, here's another comment I want to make about race. I was telling Sydney this. We were talking about the first time I met him or something, and, and he made some comment, and I knew who made it. The black man made it. So I said to him, oh, you're real attached to being black, aren't you? He said, what do you mean? You, you know you're getting through when we say that. And I made him start realizing something. Sidney has gone through most of his life and has a set of belief systems around being black. He thinks that that's who the hell he is and has dictated most of his life. And the tragedy is that's not who he is. He's got a whole script. And if you don't follow that, you see a massive second column. It's not who the hell he is. It's like Native American. That Native American's hot now, right? Boy, is that character going strong. It's getting stronger and stronger and stronger here. And the tragedy is, if, if, if she, if someone doesn't fit the script now, in that part of her being, trust me, she'll have a lot of second column. A lot of second column. And it's all designed to do what? Have her standing alone, standing apart, separated from everybody. It's not, it's not who she is. We must break all attachments to this. And if you just go into your third column, right, imagine the third column if we weren't doing it like this. Here's what she would write. She would walk in. She would play that machine. Her third column would look like this, self-esteem. I felt terrible. My feelings were real hurt when I heard her say that, right? Justifying the second column. Justifying it, justifying it, justifying it, justifying it. She'll never go making the men behind that. And then let me tell you something else that, that I realized was happened. And this really has to do with the nice step in forgiveness. <clears throat> Some of you probably had this experience. You've written inventory on people, and you really can't get taken to a state of forgiveness. Because here's one of the things that happened. My, your piosity can condone a lot of bullshit. Here's what I mean. If she, if she will never be able to make amends to this woman or to get free of her resentment to this woman when she gets to the ninth step if she tries to look at just the fourth column. Here's what I mean. All the woman spiritually sick. Right? So she goes and makes amends to her. A week later, she does the same thing. She wants to kill the bitch again, right? She can't figure out why. I'll tell you why. Because when she went to make amends, she didn't make amends based on truth. Truth manifests in the second column. Did she say this? Was she a bitch when she said that? Yes, that's the truth. She takes it into her heart, that state of consciousness, and steps one, two, three. She says, I fully and freely forgiven her based on truth, not her piosity, not the fourth column. She's spiritually sick. We know that. But the truth of the second column. 
I fully and freely forgive her. I give up all right to revenge and retribution and compensation. And now she's going to ask for the mercy that she's just given. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. When you get to amends, if you're going to go make amends, you must do it based on the truth, not a lie. There are some terrible people in this world. There are some assholes in this world. How do you go make amends to them, telling yourself they're spiritually sick because it's not true? You follow me? But this is the tragedy because if, she, if, if we don't break these attachments, we go through life just staying attached to this. And there's no freedom in any of this. You have no power. If she doesn't break these attachments, she has no power to love her neighbor as herself. What does security say? What was security? It's what she needs to be okay. What's Miss A.A. need to be okay? What'd you write? Yeah, what'd you write? I need, need to change in order to be okay. It's great. I need to cut her down in order to be okay. Did you hear that? I need to cut her down to be okay. I need her to change to be okay. What does the fourth column say? Made the choice to take on the children for fear of losing someone. Um, I focus on a problem and shut out those around me who need my help, children. I withdraw my affection and love to those around me for fear of being hurt. Dishonest. I believe the lies to justify hatred of white people. I hmm. tell no one of what I feel. I fail to recognize she is spiritually unfit. Did you hear what she said about white people? This character has cut her off from half the human race. White people. She didn't even use a name. White people. It's good with selfish and self-seeking to look what also what you might have done to bring it on while you were mad and afterwards to retaliate. Did you gossip about her? Yeah. Did you slander? Yeah. Did you shut her out? <laughs> Did you talk to her ex? Did you talk to her ex about her? Her children? Okay. Do you ever call and leave a nasty message on her recorder? See, I, I need to talk about something for just one second. She, remember the line in the big book, My Troubles Are My Own Making? Read your third column again about her changing. See, and when you're operating in this belief system, here's what it looks like. I need for her to change. She may never change. Is she going to go through her whole life in this state of consciousness every time she hears this poor woman's name? Where does my troubles or my own making fit in? Exactly. There's no freedom in this position. This isn't freedom. There's no freedom. Face and be rid of the things that have you blocked from God. Make sense? Thanks. Can we hear anybody else have a first and second column that they haven't shared yet? Let's hear the first and second column. He might get my job at the office. It affected my self-esteem, my pride, my ambition, my security, my personal relations, my sex relations, and my pocketbook. Where I was selfish, I would drink at work and cause problems for others. I would blame Brown for my problems when he was trying to only help. 
I was dishonest because I lied about my drinking, didn't tell the truth about my mistakes at work, and suffered from the delusion that I wasn't hurting anyone but myself, afraid, being unimportant, not being good enough, being disrespected, not uh, be looking bad, uh, being judged, pain, rejection, and drinking. Harm. I pushed Brown and yelled at him when he tried to talk to me about my drinking and how I was hurting my wife and threatening my job. So we can say that we covered the instructions for the fourth column. It asks you to turn back to what you've written in the first three columns twice. Once at the bottom of 66, it asks you to turn back, try to find the key to the future, look at it from an entirely different angle, see that the people who wronged you are perhaps spiritually sick, though you don't like their symptoms, column two, and the way it disturbs you, column three, they like yourself. That's always the key to that problem, that prayer, when you pray for somebody else. This is a sick person like myself, so it's not you up here and them down here. How can I be helpful to them? Help me show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offends you, you say to yourself, this is a sick man like myself. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. And as far as the instructions... Two paragraphs down, referring to the list again, putting out of your mind the second column, look for your own mistakes. Where have you been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Though a situation has not been entirely your fault, we try to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were you to blame? The inventory is yours, not the other man's. When you see your faults, list them and place them before you in black and white. Admit your wrongs honestly and become willing to set these matters straight. Just an idea I've been working with lately. I've begun to see that if I'm clear in the fourth column and I write enough fourth column, it turns the first three columns into a lie. It doesn't take them off the hook that they might not have done what they did. But I usually see if my fourth column is clear, it's not who I was mad at, it's not why I was mad, and none of the beliefs in the third column are true. For example, column one, I put her name. Column two, I put she left me. Column three, I see I'm the ultimate boyfriend who's above being left. Nobody should see me being left. I want her to stay no matter what I do. I need her to exist. I need her to come back. I need her to admit she was wrong. I need her to blah, 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 to exist. Right? I sit to see what I want. I get to see that no friend should do that to me. I get to see that I believe women shouldn't leave men, that men leave women, and that nobody leaving me should affect my money. And then I looked at selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and afraid, and I wrote about how I did each of those with her until it turned the first column into a lie because I wasn't mad at her. I was mad at me. It turned the second column into a lie because she didn't leave me. I drove her away through selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, and fear, and none of the third column was true. So tomorrow we'll start with fear and sex and get as far as we can tomorrow morning. What's everyone doing this morning? Uh, I will walk out this door promptly. Uh, I don't do the O.J. Simpson verse anymore. I will walk out 1130, so uh, i kind of, in some respects, say some of my goodbyes now. The other thing, I've done enough of these that when it's over, i just gone. I like to be gone. Uh, I, I've got a whole bunch of my business cards up here. Uh, anybody who uh, would like to, please uh, take one. Uh, 
feel free to call when you call me. We're probably going to be talking about the actions you're taking or not taking. Uh, the other thing I tell people when you call, um, I don't do idle chit-chat on the telephone. I get a lot of phone calls, so when I call, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a bullet kind of thing. So if you call me, don't ever take it personal. I'm not interested in discussing the weather and other bullshit. So I just try and tell people that because I know some of you are sensitive alcoholics. <laughs> but uh, it has been uh, enjoyable. I was telling Joe this. It's real obvious to me that uh, next year there's only two of these I'm going to do. I'm going to do one with Jason in Phoenix, Arizona, and one in Dallas. And doing this one has just made that decision I made so clear. Uh, God is really saying, you know, you've done enough talking for a while, bud. So uh, the only reason I'm comfortable doing the two I'm going to do is a lot of my AA family will be there. Because um, if you're sitting up here where Joe and I are sitting, the resistance from alcoholics is absolutely incredible. It's like a, Jason will find that out in Arizona. It's like a tidal wave coming at you. And you all, some of you have been around here a little wake. You felt that up through step one. And uh, so when you're trying to do a lot of these, uh, it's... Uh, um, you better have on some spiritual armor, and you better be doing more work than you're ever talking about. So anyhow, it's been uh, it's been wonderful. I, I want to thank you all. These are all Joe and I always have a, our own experience, and we leave with some things to to look at and to consider and that kind of stuff. So I, I want to thank uh, I want to thank each and every one of you. So uh, with that, you, you got anything you want to say? Okay. Um, if you'll get, we're going to do uh, some prayer. A little bit of step 11, then I'm going to do a guided meditation to try and bring us up to uh, where we're going to pick up this morning. So if you'll kind of get your feet on the floor a little bit and uh, take a few deep breaths and relax a little bit. Go to that place inside that Joe talked about where you can always take refuge. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together in fellowship and love and bringing us together as a spiritual body. And you have certainly fulfilled the promise that you gave us that we're two or more gathered in your name that we will be there. And we wish to thank you for that, Father. Upon awakening today and at this moment, Father, we ask that you divorce our thinking from self-pity, dishonest or self-seeking motives. Help us to think about this 24 hours ahead and to consider our plans for the day and Having asked you in prayer to divorce our thoughts, we know that we can trust our thought life for you gave us some brains to use. If we have to make any decisions today, Father, help us to pray and ask you for inspiration and intuition or the right decision and then to just relax and to take it easy. We ask, Father, that you show us what step that we're on, that you give us the power and strength to face any problems we may have. Most of all, Father, we ask you for freedom from self-will. Help us as we go through the day today to pause when either agitated or doubtful and to ask you for the right thought or the right action, to constantly remind ourselves that we're no longer running the show, to humbly say to ourselves many times throughout the day, thy will be done. And the prophet promises if we'll do that, that we'll avoid the danger of excitement and fear and anger and self-pity and foolish decisions. We'll become much more efficient and will not tire so easily. Father, we thank you for bringing us together this morning. 
We thank you for what has taken place between Friday night up to now, where we've had a chance to look at a lot of absolute, incredibly insane belief systems we've picked up over the years, none of which seem to be consistent with the truth which we're presented with in this book. Father, you showed us the idea of the circle and the triangle and the fact that it represents wholeness, a unity of mind, body, and spirit, and that we have a threefold illness in the three parts of this program. Recovery, Father, in which we take our sickened bodies, minds, and spirits through these steps, and we have a deep and vital spiritual experience with you in which you change our minds and you change our spirit. We were talking about the unity, Father, the fellowship, where we take our experience into that to try and be a service to you and our fellow human beings. In the area in the circle and triangle called service, Father, we're having done this work. We've entered the world of the spirit, and we take our awakened spirit out to be a service to you and our fellow human beings in every single area of our life. You showed us in the table of contents, Father, where we're going to find the steps so we can go through this process. Precisely show us how to recover from a hopeless state of mind and body. We looked at the idea, Father, in step one, from the doctor's opinion up through page 23. Does our experience abundantly confirm that when we take a drink of alcohol, that we lose power, choice, and control? And we ask, Father, that you show us that experientially, going back to the first drink up to the last one, to answer the questions. And that is that once I take a drink, is my body and then my mind different? And does my experience abundantly confirm this? And having shown us that, Father, you then point out to us that knowing that experientially won't prevent us from picking up the next drink. Therefore, the main problem that we have centers in our mind rather than the body. And from pages 23 to 43, Father, we're introduced to the idea that we've lost the power of choice in drink. There will come a time, and we never know what that time is, and we have no effective mental defense against the first drink. And a whole bunch of belief systems, once again, Father, get dropped away, the idea that we could think through the drink or the idea that consequences would prevent it. And you gave us five beautiful examples in there, Father, to convince us that there's going to come a time and a place where <clears throat> called a strange mental blank spot, where all the self-knowledge and willpower is totally unavailable to us, and that once more that the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, that his or her defense must come from this higher power. And, Father, you introduced us to the concept of a spiritual malady and the unmanageability of our life. And we see that that is an internal condition which manifests externally in our world. And that our whole dilemma with that is that we lack power, that we have trouble in personal relationships, that we can't control our emotional nature, that we're a prey to misery and depression, that we can't make a living, that we're full of fear, that we feel useless, that we're unhappy, and we can't help others. And the whole dilemma with all that, Father, is lack of power. Then, Father, having seen that and experienced all that and laid the foundation in place, the second step introduces us to our need for power. And the simplicity is that if we're willing to believe there's a power greater than ourselves who can take us past here, Father, and if we're willing to choose to make that power everything, and we will seek that that power, then we have some real hope, Father. And then we come up to the ABCs, A, that we're an alcoholic and cannot manage our own lives. B, that no human power could relieve our alcoholism. And C, that you can and will if we would seek you. And over and over up to this point in time, Father, we're told that if we will seek you, and we seek you through our actions. And then, Father, we get to the place where we have to make a third step of decision if we're convinced of those ABCs. And before we make that decision, there's a requirement that we must meet, and that is, Father, am I convinced that my life front of my will doesn't work? 
And I come current, Father, with the reality of my life as I sit here this morning. And I once again see experientially that when I'm running my life and my self-will, it absolutely will not work. And I see that selfishness, self-centeredness is the root of my problem. And I'm being driven through life by my self-will, Father. Driven by my fears and my self-delusion and my self-seeking and my self-pity. And help me to understand that when I'm being driven, Father, there is no choice. And that my troubles are my own making. That above everything, that we must be rid of this selfishness or we're going to die. Help me see the chain, Father, between my selfishness and dying an alcoholic death. Now, Father, we introduce the idea that moral and philosophical convictions, no matter how much effort and how much we try in our own power, we can't get rid of the selfishness, that we have to have your help. And, Father, the reason we have to have your help is because us playing God doesn't work anymore. So from here on out, we're going to make this decision, Father. And that is that you're going to be the director in our life, and we're going to be the actor. And you're going to be the principal, and we're going to be the agents and that you're going to be our loving Father, and that we're going to be the child, and that this is the keystone to this arch. And when we take this position, Father, all sorts of remarkable things will happen. And the promise is that you will give us everything we need if we stay close to you, which is to be your child, and perform your work well, which is to be your agent and your actor. And then, Father, you give us the incredible third-step prayer, which is an affirmation of our decision. God, we offer ourselves to thee to build with us and do with us as thou wilt. Relieve us of the bondage of self, that we may better do thy will. Take away our difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those we would help. Of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life, may we do thy will always. Next, Father, we were shown we need to watch out in a personal inventory, or our third step decision will have no permanent effect. And you show us that our liquor is but a symptom, so we have to give down the causes and conditions. Causes and conditions that exist within us, Father, because we've been driven through life on self-will. The conscious decision, right? Well, the book's trying to present you with something. Anytime you're in fear, you're making a conscious decision to be in fear because you're relying on self instead of God. And then it gives me some instructions for a fear inventory. And if you look at this, basically it's two columns. One is a list of all your fears, many of which you can pull out of your resentment inventory. Plus, you pray and ask for other fears that show up. And then the book says also, why do you have the fear? And then also, you can also write a four-column fear inventory, which will show you a lot more about fear at a much deeper level. You put fear in column one, whatever that is. I got a fear of women. Column two, all the reasons you have the fear. Column three, what are the seven areas of my life that are affected as a result of what I've written in column one and column two? And then you go to a fourth column. Four-column fear inventory will show you how much fear dominates your life at a much, much deeper level. And then I think, you know, I've always loved the two paragraphs that really describe to me what can happen with me in this issue around fear, where I'm going to start trusting and relying on God now and not on myself. And the promise is that if I'll do that, I can match calamity with serenity. And then I, I, I go on too. you know, a lot of, you hear a lot of things about courage. And to me, the big book gives me the best definition of courage I ever, I've ever seen. It says, faith means courage. Definition of courage is this, do you trust your God? Do you trust your God? You know, a lot of you, over the course this weekend, you know, we talk about, well, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where I'm at. I don't, well, do you trust your God? You know, there's a line in We Agnostics that I really love. It says that underneath the totality of things, there's a guiding creative intelligence. 
guiding creative intelligence. Do you trust your God? That's the definition of courage. Courage is trusting your God, bringing God in here today. And then the tool that, that they give us talks about, again, we're going to let God demonstrate through us what God can do. There's only one thing Mark Houston will ever take credit for, and that's my sinning. Any, anything, uh, anything outside of that is of God. It's not of me. I will take credit for my sinning. That's not of God. So I let God demonstrate through me what God can do. You know, if you go somewhere and you're asked to do something, speak or do anything else, or you're at a meeting, if you understand who's doing it, you don't have to walk around in fear behind it. And then again, the tool for that is anytime you're in fear, you're going to commence, you're going to, the prayer is, God, please remove my fear. Because what you've done, you've gotten back into self-will, right? And self-will has produced fear in you. And the tool is, God, remove my fear and help you, re- help you remind me of what you would have me be. I'm your child. I can trust you. I'm your actor. I'm your agent. And now I'm back aligned with the will of God. And the promise is, at once, I will commence to outgrow fear. Those of you who've been around for a while know this. There are a lot of fears over the years that have totally left me, and I've never experienced them again. So my experience is you can outgrow fear. Other spiritual books talk about the place, getting taken to a place where you never experience fear. And I believe that that is possible. I'm certainly not there yet. But I believe that it's possible. With God, I believe that that is possible. So that's some of my experience with uh, fear. This time I am going to write a uh, four-column fear inventory. Last couple times I went back to writing two-column fears inventories. And I, and I, and I see a lot of fears when, when I write those out. And again, I pull most of them out of my resentment inventory. So that's all I got on that. <clears throat> Joe Alcoholic. He made an interesting comment that probably slid by um, that was a big piece for me as it relates to what do I do without any power with fear and what can I do with some power in my life with fear. He he made a a comment that, or a question more more or less, uh, is it possible that fear is a conscious decision? How many of us that have read this book have always wondered... I mean, that was one of the most baffling sentences that, at least in the inventory process, where they say, we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. And didn't we ourselves set the ball rolling? And I don't think they were writing this book to kleptomaniacs or pe- people that were powerless over stealing. I think they're writing this book for alcoholics who, at least when I steal, uh, it, it's a conscious decision. Um, and some of you that aren't quite as aggressive as some of us, the more passive people, uh, you can go, uh, I mean, it's, it's relative to where you come from. You can steal people's time. You can steal their security. Uh, being late is stealing. Uh, coming early is stealing. Um, there's a lot of different forms of stealing that you can look at. But for me, it's a conscious decision. And I didn't get that. When somebody said to me, and I was in the middle of my first inventory, and I got this list, because that's where the fear inventory begins, with another first column. And somebody said to me, is it possible that fear is a conscious decision? I thought, well, I've never decided to be afraid of this or this or this or heights or snakes or... 
I think fear is something that just happens, you know. I want to show, you know, like a shit happens bumper sticker or something, right? It doesn't just happen. Fear is a reflection of anger. First, you've seen that in your resentment inventory, right? Behind every resentment is fear. I show you anger, but I'm really terribly afraid. So here I am with all these fears on this list. And somebody says, is it possible that fear is a conscious decision? And I don't get it. And I write, and I write, and I write, and I write. All of a sudden, I see that every fear that I've ever had is based on self-reliance. That's the conscious decision that I make on a regular basis where fear is concerned that sets up every fear I've ever had to rely on me where fear is concerned and I realize I decide into fear by deciding to rely on me rather than God so if without power relying on self I decide into fear then maybe down the line here let's say in the in the tenth step where we continue to take inventory and continue to watch for things to crop up, maybe with power I can decide out of fear. And maybe fear isn't really fear. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe fear isn't just an emotion if you're alcoholic. Maybe fear is a uh, shot glass filled with whiskey. We go around dealing with a lot of stuff we think we're dealing with, and it's not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with alcohol. We're fighting booze. You could take any one of your fears. Let's just say uh, most of my fears, see if any of the things I'm afraid of felt good, I wouldn't be afraid of them. So one of my number one fears is pain, emotional, physical, mental, spiritual. So I have this pain. Well, what's right underneath that pain? Well, if I stay in it, I'll, everyone will leave and I'll, I'll be all alone. Well, what, what's right underneath being alone? Well, if I stay in that pain and everybody leaves and I'm rejected and I'm all alone and I continue to feel bad, I'll drink. Well, fear's not just an emotion. The delusion that I'm like other people where fear is concerned has had to be smashed over and over and over. Fear is a conscious decision based on your decision to rely on yourself. I find my list from my resentment inventory. You'll find fear scattered out throughout the third column. Well, what was I afraid of that made me believe this? Looking bad. What was I afraid of that made me believe this not getting what I want what was I afraid of that made me believe this pain what was I afraid of that made me believe this rejection you'll find fears all throughout selfishness dishonesty and self-seeking in the fourth column and the thing to do is you've correlated them down here at the bottom of the fourth column under afraid now you're going to take that and you're going to start over here on a whole new pad of first column for your fear inventory 
with no repeats. Because all through your big resentment inventory, you're going to find the same fears repeated over and over and over. You just want to make, you don't need to put, I'm afraid of being rejected by mommy. I'm afraid of being rejected by daddy, my girlfriend. No, just put down rejection and just put it down once. There's only so many fears. Then you'll see an amazing thing about that. There's only two fears. You just have to find yours. I put different names on them, but there's only two fears that all your fears stem from. I didn't see that. So I have this list. Most people, I guess, I've never really seen uh, anybody start their first column in their fear inventory with more than 80 or, you know, so, you know. There's only so many names you can put on the same two things. But that awareness has come from writing a lot of fear inventory. So I'm working on this list. When do you know the list will be done? You'll know when the list is done, when the list is done. Pray. Look for fears that weren't in the resentment inventory. Snakes, heights, things, other stuff. Anything that wasn't in the resentment inventory, and just keep asking. Show me any, show me any of the fears that you would have me look at. Sometimes it helps to look at the opposites of those fears. I'm afraid of the light. I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of truth. I'm afraid of lies. I'm afraid of being lost. I'm afraid of being found. So check that list before you're done for each of the opposites of the ones you have on there. If they ring true for you. And just keep working on the fear list until you know it's done. Then the book says it's basically just a two-column inventory. Um, we reviewed our fears, which is going through the resentment inventory. Put them on paper. Some you'll have no resentment in connection with, so there's some other ones. Keep working on the list. The only other real instruction is we asked ourselves why we had these fears. So I have my list here on this notebook. Take the first fear off the list, put it on another piece of paper, and it starts to sound like this. Number one, I'm afraid of rejection. Why? I'll be alone, painful, drink, die. And you'll actually think when you get from each fear four or five or three or four or however many, break it all the way down to what that fear is really about, and I'll die. Break the fear down. You got you break it down in the second column. You'll think you're adding more fears to this original list by doing the second column. Really what you're doing, most people find that, let's say you started with 60. What you'll find in the second column is that you end up with about 30. And what we like to do is take those 30, take your new second column, cross off all the repeats, and uh, take those 30 and do a second column on those 30, and you'll find there's really only about 10. So the fear inventory starts to turn into a playoff chart. You know, like when they, the, uh, uh, the basketball playoffs, they start with what? Um, where's Frank? Yeah, they start with 64 teams and they end up with two. You keep doing this two-column process. Break them down and break them down. You see that uh, rejection isn't really about my fear of rejection. It's about the pain that it causes. Because if rejection felt good, you know, there I guess there's people I, that, um, you know, like that sort of thing because it feels good. Uh, why would you be afraid of it? So we usually do it until we break it down to like 10, and I hate to call them negative because they're so helpful, but 10 negative fears. Uh, 
pain, uh, being alone, uh, drinking, dying. And then their direct opposites, pleasure, being with someone, not drinking, and living. And you start to see this interesting thing. You're, you're as afraid of some of these things as you're afraid of their opposites. Now, why would somebody like me be afraid of pleasure? Well, I can't create it and I can't maintain it. And I always lose it. I can't control, I can't control pain and I can't control pleasure. I'm afraid of pain for the same reason I'm afraid of pleasure. Don't have any power. Oh, there's a new one. No power. But I'm also afraid of having power. You mean I'm as afraid of power, being powerless as I'm afraid of, you know. It's great. A lot of us in this room understand a wonderful place in AA when you can remain. Oh, God, I'm, I'm 14 years sober and I just don't have any power and my life's unmanageable, right? a great way to stay in fear and remain irresponsible and on and on and on. I have a, some friends in Northern California in the Bay Area and they have a group, an AA group called the Lopwads. And I asked them, how come you call yourself Lopwads? She said, because lack of power is our dilemma. And I said, well, in a few years, if you all keep doing the work, you're going to have to change the name of your group to Hopwads. She said, why? I said, because after a while doing this work, having power is also a dilemma, right? Because you got to do something. Right? Our friend always says, uh, lack of power is only a dilemma when you want to do something. Right? Having power is also a dilemma because it means you got to do something. Right? you got to be responsible. Right? So i got as many fears about not having any power as I do about having power. Because having power... I'm going to have pleasure, I'm going to have peace, I'm going to have freedom, I'm going to have commitment, I'm going to have responsibility, I'm going to have to live not drinking. And I get in touch with these ten negative fears and these ten positive fears, and then we take it one step further. Take each one of those, one page for each. So if i got twenty basic fears, ten negative and their opposites, it will be twenty pieces of paper put one at the top of the page, write what it's really about, then my third column, and then my fourth column, and bam, my whole fear inventory exploded open for me because I never saw how fear causes harm in my life to others and myself from the two or three two-column fear inventories I wrote my first few years. The third column of beliefs about fear they're not about what I am. They're about what my ego tells me I can do. I'll read one. This person took um, and wrote a prayer at the top of the page, and the fear was being alone. And the second column is because it's painful. Self-esteem. Now, if you don't get the third column, and we didn't mean to confuse anybody yesterday, if you don't get how to write the third column, fine then this is how it would sound. I'm afraid of being alone because it's painful. It affects my self-esteem, my pride, my ambition, my security, my personal relations, my sex relations, and my pocketbook. And then, it will, then we'll look at our part of what I do when I'm in that fear of being alone. The extended third column with fear is about not what I am. 
It's about self-reliance, so it's about what I can do. So here's how it sounds. I'm afraid of being alone because it's painful. Self-esteem. I can control pain. Nobody, sh nobody should see that I can't control pain. Ambition. I want to control pain. Security. I need to be free of pain to be okay. Now, that is one of the biggest ego beliefs in this program. At least, it was one of my biggest ones. So it's got to be for others because there is no special truth. Mark doesn't have special truth that's, that's only for him. I don't have special truth that's only for me. None of you have special truth. If you and I are alky and it's true for you, it's true for me. And the amazing thing is when you start to write inventory, and I'll tell you, there's only one way to get experience writing inventory 15 or 20 years. Only one way to write inventory 15 or 20 years. You're not going to cheat the process. That's with every step. You cannot cheat the process. There is no special truth. The amazing thing about continuing to write inventory that kills me every time I write it is that I see over and over and over and over whatever anybody in this room believes is true is until you see that it either is or that it isn't. No matter what it is you believe, no matter what it is I currently believe, it is true. Maybe not for you, maybe not in reality, maybe not in the world, but if it is, until I either see that it is or it isn't. Oh, and that's one of the biggest ones that I've ever had. I have an ego that says you cannot be in pain and free at the same time, and no wonder I spend an entire lifetime doing everything I can to avoid pain and doing everything you can to avoid pain only creates more fear, even if it works for short periods of time. The amazing thing about seeking relief is that relief is always temporary. No friend should see me in pain. Men can control pain. Pain should not interfere with my money. I'm not willing to pay the price to see why I'm in pain, and then I go across that line of power and see why I am in pain. Selfish. I'll do anything necessary not to be alone, even at the cost of others, as I, so I don't have to experience any pain. I use women, sex, food, blah, blah, blah. This is what I do when I'm in this sphere. I'm dishonest. I lie about the pain. I don't talk about it. I have the delusion that I can control it. I'm afraid that I'll have no control over it, I'll stay in pain, I'll drink, and I'll die. And then I look at harms. What do I do that causes other people, and if any names come to you, specific names that come to you that you cause harm to, when you're in that kind of fear, you can put them down there too, and it's just another great eight-step tool. not always a great thing to get free of fear. And you can only go so long when you reach a point in your sobriety, you can only go so long and get, get so much awareness how you use fear to overcome fear that you just can't do it anymore. Use one fear to get out of another fear to move into another fear because then if I do that, then this will happen 
And there, it's only so long that you can even be afraid of your own first step. And if anyone in this room has any fear about their first step or drinking again, then it means that there you think your ego is telling you, you believe there's something you can do about drinking again. Because fear around your first step has to do with self-reliance. This is not easy stuff to see. If you are afraid of alcohol or have any fear or displaced emotion that's not real with your first step, then you're not seeing it clearly. Fear is just another mask the ego uses to keep you from clearly seeing that which it doesn't want you to see. So if you're afraid of your first step, you're going to continue to go into fear. And if you're using the kind of hope that doesn't work for us, you're going to continue to go from hope any message that's grounded in anything you can do, any last reservations or lurking notions that there's anything you can do to manage your life or control booze or keep yourself sober, you're going to continue to go from that kind of false hope to fear, from false hope to fear. I did it for years and years doing this work. And I never had a first step that wasn't based in fear until somebody talked to me about Let's see if we can pray and be taken to a place where finally the third step decision isn't a fear-based decision, which will lead to more fear. And you can only keep using fear to overcome fear for so long until it just doesn't work. I mentioned a couple of other things um, Joe talked about. You know, one of them is I had this uh, thought process for a while about spiritual skills. He talked about, you know, the way that you get 14 years or 15 years experience with inventory is you write inventory for 14 or 15 years. And, hell, I don't care if you're digging a ditch. It takes a long time to learn how to dig a ditch. So the point of that is if you really want to experience some freedom, you're just going to have to do a lot of work with inventory, a lot of work with writing of inventory. The other thing I want to talk about is all negative emotion comes from ego, so fear is coming from ego. So I want to tie you back into something about fear. There was a, there's a line on page 60, 61 that says, Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if he only manages well? And I want to go back to that piece of inventory yesterday where the boyfriend had a different idea of how he's supposed to recover from a hopeless state of mind and body. And I want to show you something. We talked about when you're writing the third column, it's about this character. It's about your being. If you do not lose your attachment to these characters, you're going to go through your entire life being in fear all of the time. And the reason is simple. If she does not lose her attachment, for example, one of her fears that she talked about was he would leave. I would be alone. I wouldn't have a boyfriend. If she does not break her attachment to the fact that she's got to go through life being a girlfriend, she's going to be in fear in every relationship she'll be in the rest of her life. That, that It all must go. If you expect to go through life... Without fears, all of it must go. My Mr. Employer, my, my, that must go. Those of you that are married, the husband must go. If he doesn't, the husband's going to be in fear all the time because the very minute the wife does something to threaten his being, he's going to be in fear. How in the hell can you have a relationship with anybody? God said, Mark, love thy neighbor as thyself. He wants me to be kind, loving, honoring, self-sacrificing with you. Period. End of statement. I cannot do that if I'm running through life with all these different characters. They have a script. They're trying to manage. They think they'll be happy and satisfied. See, and here's the idiocy of this. 
And I'll just use this because it's a good example. Those of you in a relationship. If your significant other, I still never understood what that is, but if if that person did everything you wanted, you would be just as displeased with that as them not doing what you want, which is why there's never any satisfaction or peace in them. I'm in a meeting one night, and, and they're going around the room, and one guy is pissed off because she left. Another guy's pissed off because she's still there. Another guy's pissed off because he lost a job. Another guy's mad because he just got a new promotion that's overwhelming. Another guy's pissed off because his... I said, none of you are pissed off because of those things. You're pissed off because you have a spiritual malady inside that confines you to have to find fault with something outside, regardless of whether she stays or leaves. And if these personalities continue to have fear, and these personalities don't die somewhere in 4 through 9, one personality's freedom causes fear in the other personality. And I think Joe said something that's so important. Here's the difference between me and a lot of people in this, in this world. They aren't going to die an alcoholic death because they're in fear. He said something that's real important. I don't know if you heard this. If, if we gave you an exercise, list what you think are your ten most pressing problems. The truth is, behind every one of those, if you're an alcoholic, is a drink of whiskey. Is a drink of whiskey. That's the thing that Mark Houston has to understand. When I'm at work and I get in fear around work, the employee, right? The perfect employee, he gets in fear. That's who's in fear. It's like you say, I'm afraid. Bullshit. Who's afraid? Who's afraid? When I, when I was so, I'm in fear. I think, well, I'm just in fear. It's no big thing. Bullshit. There's a drink of alcohol behind that. Why? Because I am not like other people. They can walk around with fear for long periods of time. My mother can do that. It's no big deal. I can't. This is the whole purpose of doing a, a lot of work with, with these steps over and over and over again. That's why I made the statement at the table last night. If you're new, you better be doing a hell of a lot of work with inventory your first two, three years because you're so attached to all those characters. It's absolutely incredible. And the more work you do, the sooner and the quicker, the sooner you'll break your attachment to them. I'll tell you what freedom is, is when you're attached only to God and you live in God. That is freedom. It is from that place that you get moved through life. Enter the world of the Spirit. What an awesome place to be from, to live from, to operate from. To be moved from. You follow me? So, it, but it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. We so. never apologize for God. Instead, we let Him demonstrate through us what He can do. We ask Him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what He would have us be. We're so into doing, 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 doing. We're no longer even human beings, Harley. We're just human doings, right? They love that one in those big action groups, right, that have very little to do with even what's in the chapter called into action, right? It's all this stuff. Get them on the merry-go-round. Get them busy. Wave at them once in a while as they pass by, you know. But it's this wonderful balance between action and non-action. Sometimes it's good. Don't just sit there. Do something. And sometimes it's appropriate. Don't just do something. Sit there, right? Both are true. Neither are right. Neither are wrong. Right? This wonderful balance. Right? If it's action, 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 you fall into a belief 
that it's something you're doing that's making all this great stuff happen, and the ego just loves that. What do I need to do? I've got fear. What should I do? Got some fear? Call somebody. Let me tell them. Have them tell me what I'm supposed to do to overcome this fear. Then I can manage my life. If I can manage fear, then I can manage alcohol. But if then you just sit there, and all you do is sit there, you fall into this belief that the hot dog's going to be squirted through the keyhole, you know, when you're hungry, right? You've got to sit there long enough to realize the power is there to get up and put one foot in front of the other, and then you've got to put one foot in front of the other till you need to sit down because you're starting to take the credit and realize where the power comes from again to get back up and put one foot in front of the other. And don't ever confuse activity with action. Take a dictionary and look up those two words. I've talked enough of you know there's some of you in here just being driven through activity. Driving to meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. Activity. Doing this, doing this, doing this. It's a whole other way to avoid taking the action of seeking God. What? Don't don't confuse activity with action. There's a huge difference. What's the lesson when you continue to ask God to remove your fear and direct your attention to what he would have you be? What's the lesson? I'm not what I do. Nothing I can do is going to overcome fear. Where fear is concerned, self-reliance fails. Because if you can control fear, you can control your life, you can control booze. Bing, bang, boom. Right? Now about sex. The most seldom talked about topic in Alcoholics Anonymous. We certainly don't want to bring up the idea in this group with these sensitive people that there is no such thing as a relationship. You all know that? There's no such thing as a relationship? You go around looking for relationships. You'll continue to have relationships as long as those personalities live, and each personality will have a different relationship for every other personality that it relates with. You become at one, and all of a sudden it's about love and tolerance and compassion for the people in your life. Right? Oh, I love her more. Right? I love you less because she's better and you're... And this personality works with you and this personality has a relationship with you. There is no such thing as a relationship. They're an illusion. Only consciousness. It's called pissing up a rope. Some of you are paying people a lot of money to piss up a rope. <laughs> You're going to go get counseling on relationships. And this is what you do with this relationship. And then with this relationship, you do this. And at work relationship, you do this because you have these issues. And the whole system is set up to keep you separate, scattered in a million pieces with a million philosophies for a million different relationships that don't even exist. And then here's what you do, too. The one you're in doesn't work, so it ends. So you write a new insane and sound ideal. You've now created a new third column. A different script for every relationship. They're illusions. I'm scattered and confused. Why are you scattered and confused? Because I'm scattered and confused. You know, we've got a, oh. we've got a mother and a daughter here. If they ever expect to get along with each other, mama's got to die and daughter's got to die. So they can just be kind, loving, honoring, self-sacrificing. Because from the time they get up till the time they go to bed, every action they take and everything they say is based on mama or daughter. I'm your mother. Right? 
she's run roughshod over everybody her entire life, comes to AA, gets pregnant in her first three months, and now she's a mother, right? And you have to have the beliefs, and you have to get the scenario, and you have to have the script, right? Now on this, if the ego main function is to keep you separate in a million different pieces, with a million different problems, with a million different solutions, there must be systems out there in the world to perpetuate that. And most of the systems that you and I have been exposed to perpetuate. The government loves to keep us like that. Those people are wrong, so you can be right, and they're wrong, and this is wrong. Keep them all separate, right? Today, we have men's meetings, we have women's meetings, we have women's issues, we have men's issues. There's one issue. It's called lack spiritual malady, lack of power. <laughs> That's the only issue, period. Alcoholics Anonymous is not for women. Alcoholics Anonymous is not for black people. Alcoholics Anonymous is not for homosexuals or men or lawyers or doctors. Alcoholics Anonymous is for alcoholics. We don't need to be separate and different and apart any longer with a million different issues, with a million different solutions for a million different problems, for a million different people. All of a sudden, Alcoholics Anonymous becomes a self-help program. That's what some people call it when they write articles about AA. Alcoholics Anonymous is a self-help program. Bullshit. Alcoholics Anonymous is a program for people who can't help themselves. Right? Alcoholics Anonymous is a self-help program with an individual program for everybody in it. Isn't that wonderful? Finally, we got two million alcoholics together for the first time in a place where there's hope, and every one of them is going to be separate with their own individual issues and their own individual program. And the ego has won. The ego has won. Right? Go to a meeting. I want to hear this. I just, I just cringe this thing of this low and high self-esteem but you hear it goes something like this I've got to learn how to love myself more take care of myself and set boundaries <laughs> you may as well go buy some whiskey you love yourself way the hell too much here's a great one with relationships you hear all the time my wife and I need to keep our programs separate isn't that amazing? The ego could convince you the person in your life you're the closest to of anyone in the world, your programs, one of the most important things in your life, your search for God, you should keep it separate. Now, I understand she should probably not be your sponsor, and you probably shouldn't try to be her sponsor, but wouldn't you like to have a mate you could share seeking God with and not have? Then the ego's one. Any area of your life where your ego has convinced you you need to be separate. The ego's one. I don't want a wife that our programs are separate. I would like to spend the rest of my life with somebody where we shared program, the program. Each having our own individual experience somewhere coming together, seeking God. Now about sex, many of us need an overhauling there. By the way, look up the word overhauling sometime. It isn't a minor tune-up. 
When you're being driven through life by fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, an overhaul is probably going to be needed. We try to be sensible in this question because it's so easy to get way off the track. What an understatement. Here we find human opinions running to extreme, absurd extremes perhaps. One set of voices cries sex is a lust of our lower nature, base necessity of procreation. Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes, think we don't have enough of it or isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school allows man no flavor for his fare. The other was have us all on a straight pepper diet. We want to stay out of this controversy. I like the next sentence. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. Read that again. We all have sex problems. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. Well, what can we do about them? So now I'm going to get some instructions. Make your list. Pray. Ask. Dear God, please show me the relationships that you would have me look at. Review. That's all I've been in. We made a comment. There's no such thing as a relationship, but it's all I've ever had. Every, one of, every woman I've ever been with has been exposed to every one of my personalities that wouldn't die. Right? I've had relationships I would now like to have. Right? Consciousness. Reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Work on the list. Work on the list. Work on the list till you know it's done. I know we talked about this the other day, but I'll remind you. Try putting down the next time you do a sex inventory, which is not about sex, the most important relationship in your life. And take God through the nine questions. Some of you say, it's the most important relationship in my life. Right? A woman gave me that, a woman that's been doing the work for a long time. She tricked me into it by asking me, what's the sex inventory about? I said, relationships. That was a mistake. But then she said, what's the most important relationship in your life? And I said, God. She said, well, write, write sex inventory about God. And the answers to the nine questions were, some weren't applicable. Most of them were. Extremely interesting what I do in that. And you wonder, why isn't what I need being provided? I don't stay close to him. The great promise from before we even took the third step was he will provide what you need if you keep close to him and perform his work well and start to find out there is no separation between the place you stay close to him and the place you perform his work well. That's a whole other idea, though. So I work on this list until I know it's done. I'm sorry to admit. I'm sorry. Part of me is sorry to admit that my sex list has gotten much shorter over the years. I'd like to say that last year I had 72 names on my sex inventory from the previous year, right? Then the guys from uh, Philly would think I was really cool, right? We could, like, go in the bathroom and, like, hang out and shit, you know? Talk shit. Sorry to say... There was only two names. Me and God. No, no. There was, there was one. 
me slash God and then this poor girl that I had. You know, I'll give you an exercise. Do it tonight. About taking this relationship with God. You write down, for example, when did you first become aware of God in your life? Write down some few things that's happened in between there. How have you treated this God? What's your relationship been? Where is it at now? And then begin to answer some questions about this thing with God. There's people in this room that do not think God existed until they realized he was already there. Where have I been selfish in my relationship with God? Where have I been not dishonest? Check this one out. For those of you who didn't, prayer, didn't do prayer and meditation this morning, where have I been inconsiderate in my relationship with God? Who does that hurt? Do I unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? I think another book says I'm a jealous God. Ooh. When I'm not relying on God, how do I arouse jealousy, suspicion, and bitterness when I'm not close to Him? Where am I at fault? What should I do instead? Nine basic questions. And isn't it weird? My sponsor's not one for drama, and he didn't warn me about any part of this work up to this. And the first time we got to the sex inventory, Don says to me, and it was a little shocking because he doesn't react like this, he says, don't answer question number nine if you don't want to change in that area of your life. And it was the only part of the inventory he made any kind of a comment like that. Don't look at what you should. And thank God, I, in continuing to write this kind of inventory, thank God it doesn't say, what could I have done instead? Because with the power that I had at the time, I couldn't have done anything instead. But there's a lot I should have done instead. Always remember, any time during any of the three inventories, resentment, fear, or sex, you start to beat yourself up, which is just the other side of ego. It's just ego. It's just ego. Go back to that statement just before the inventory where it says, our troubles of our own making. On page 62, go back to the statement, our troubles of our own making, and move back into that state of consciousness where you realize the positive side of that statement. Because if I move into the negative side of that statement, my troubles are over my own making and beat myself to a bloody pulp, inventory is a terrible thing. I need to see the positive side of that statement. Thank God these people, these fears, these things, these resentments that I'm writing about don't need to do anything for me to get free. See, here's how this chain. When you're being driven by your self-will, there is no choice. And then you write inventory, and then you want to beat the shit out of yourself because you should have made better choices. You see, when you're being driven by self-will, you have no power. Now, if you don't believe this, just go back in the last year and look at some action you've taken, decisions you've made, and try and tell me it's a choice. If you're like me, an idiot could have made a better choice. When you're being driven, there is no choice. See, if these things that we face, when we look at the unmanageability, when we look at the inventory, when we look at selfishness, when we look at our own dishonesty, if these things are things that we're doing with power, willful acts, that we have a choice, we're the ones in charge, then we're really, really, really terrible people. We're really bad. If this is all being done based on our power. But over and over and over, you see in your inventory, you see with the unmanageability, you see with the current stuff that's going on, 
It's not what I want to do. I want to do this. But without any power, I end up doing this. I don't want to break her heart. And then six months later, I've broken her heart. I'm not a bad person. Lack of power is my dilemma. You're either moving toward God or living in self. There's no in-between. So you make a list. Go with what comes. I believe with any of these lists, resentment, fear, sex, if it comes, it's a gift. Trust it. Work on the list of...